2 Timothy in the Bible today, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy 3. And we're talking about what we believe is Baptist. Are you a Baptist? And we had uh, Dr. Jerry Vines here last week, and so I took a break from it. You heard the book of Jonah last week, didn't you, throughout and today we're going to go back to our series here, and the subject today is built on the Bible. Baptists are built on the Bible, and I'd like for you to stand with me as we read God's Word, Second Timothy chapter number three in your Bible. Please read with me and watch as we or follow with me, please. We'll begin in verse 14, Second Timothy three, and verse 14. But continue thou, Paul writing to young Timothy, a young preacher, continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Why do we teach our children the Holy Scriptures? Why is Sunday school and all the activities we have here so important to our children. Next phrase. They're able to make them wise unto salvation through faith. I just can't overemphasize that, parents. You want a child to grow up in the faith, you've got to expose them to the faith, don't you? And so Paul writes to Timothy, your mother taught you the scriptures, and they made you wise to salvation through faith in Christ. Now the most pertinent verse for today, all scripture. Have you circled that all in your Bible yet? Not the parts you like or the parts that comfort you. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. There's not anything in your Bible that's not valuable profitable to you. It is profitable for doctrine, our beliefs, for reproof when God convicts us of our wrong, for correction when he tells us the direction to go, and then for instruction when he affirms that over and over with various passages of Scripture. And the purpose of it all, that the man of God or the Christian may be perfect, complete, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, I've used the word Baptist as an acrostic here to teach some of our beliefs. And if you take the letters there in the word Baptist, and I did down the left-hand column, the B stands for biblical authority. The A for the autonomy, and it's a unfamiliar word to us. That means self-government, basically, of the local church. The church is to govern itself internally. The priesthood of the believer. We have two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which one of them we will observe tonight. Baptists believe in individual soul liberty or soul competency, as it's sometimes described. We believe in salvation by grace alone, that nobody deserves to be saved, 
and that we cannot save our sins, that God initiates salvation, reaches down to us through what Christ did for us on the cross, and gives us salvation, though we do not deserve it. And that the most saintly person on the globe today does not deserve it. It is by grace, unmerited favor. We believe there are two offices in the New Testament church. The office of pastor, sometimes called elder in the New Testament, and sometimes called bishop. In fact, in the early days, all the pastors were referred to as bishop. And, but it's three different words describing the same office. And so two offices, pastor, elder, bishop, same office, and then the deacons. And then there's the separation of church and state. Now, these together are the Baptist recipe. I used the illustration of cornbread a couple weeks ago. And by that, I meant that if you're going to make cornbread, it requires a number of ingredients. It starts with cornmeal and then buttermilk and shortening and salt and pepper and butter and all that other stuff that you put in cornbread. And the Baptist, what we are as Baptists, is not just one thing. It is a number of ingredients. And the ingredients were listed up there under the word Baptist, and there's some more distinctives that we have as well. So what makes a Baptist? A number of things, and we're going through those things because it's been years since we've emphasized that here. Now, I'm not going through them in order as the Baptist acrostic would uh, indicate. I'm using the B today, the very first letter, and I'm talking about biblical authority. Biblical authority. That we Baptists believe that the Bible is the ultimate final authority in our personal lives as Christians and also in our church's life corporately here together. And it takes all those things to make a Baptist, all those ingredients. And this is just one of them, but it is a very, very important ingredient. Now, I understand, for example, that right now in the state of South Carolina, in the upstate, there is a church that calls itself a Baptist church, has Baptist on the sign. But they, don't, they said that we no longer require people to be immersed to be a member of our church. Well, see, now you have someone claiming to be a Baptist who leaves out one of the most essential parts of what is a Baptist. So I personally would question whether that is truly a Baptist church. So I would say that it takes all of these things if we're truly going to be Baptist in the real sense of the word. So today, biblical authority, my subject is built built on the Bible. If you go all the way back in history to A.D. 300 or so, a Roman emperor assumed the throne in Rome, and the emperor's name was Diocletian. And the one thing about Diocletian was that he hated the Christians. Christians were growing rapidly. The Christian faith was exploding across the empire. And Diocletian looked at them as a threat to his political leadership because he believed that if they got in sufficient numbers, they could basically overthrow him and elect one of their own. And so he began to persecute them. And one of the worst persecutions ever brought upon Christians occurred in 303 
back in Rome in the days of the empire. And they were killing Christians everywhere, and they were killing them in unbelievably cruel, horrendous torture was occurring as they tried to reduce the numbers of the Christians. And one of his counselors was a Greek man, in fact, a philosopher, but he was an advisor to uh, the emperor. And this man came to him and said, I have the way that we can keep these Christians from flourishing here in the empire. And Diocletian listened to his counsel and he began to carry it out. And here was the counsel of this Greek philosopher who was his advisor. He told him, if you will destroy the scrolls, then you will destroy the Christians. Destroy the scrolls and you will destroy the Christians. What did he mean by the scrolls? Well, of course, in those days, they didn't have books. They had scrolls. They would take pieces of animal skin, and they would dry it out and scrape it and make it very, very thin, and they would write on it. And when they came to the end of the page, they would just add another one on it, and then they would roll it up, as you know, in a scroll. Somebody one day got the idea to just take all the ends of them, put them together, trim them off and put some glue on them, and it'll do the same thing, and it'll be a lot less difficult to carry around. And so then we had what they called a codex or a Bible, or rather a book, and thus the Bible was reduced from the scroll. But in those days, all they had was scrolls. And Diocletian sent out the word through the Roman Empire, destroy the scrolls on which the Christians, from which the Christians read, on which is written their holy book. And boy, it worked, because when there is no Bible, there cannot be any true Christianity. Now, in modern times, we've had other people attempt the same thing. Adolf Hitler sent trucks down the streets of Nazi Germany in the last days. And he had soldiers walk down the street and say, bring your Bibles. And the German people would bring their Bibles out to the curb and throw them on the back of the truck, and they would have a burning. They would take them somewhere and pile them up and burn them by the tens of thousands. And then later you had Lenin in Russia, and following him, Stalin, and they did the same thing. In those countries, to own a Bible might get you a prison sentence. And then later you have the same thing when Mao Zedong took over in China, and a brutal, brutal persecution and killing of Christian people. To own a Bible in China during the days of Mao could land you in prison for 30 or 40 years of your life. Sometimes it could even incur a death sentence. So Satan has always known this. You cannot separate real, true Christianity from the Scripture. And If you want true Christianity, it must be built upon the Word of God, the Bible that you hold in your hand, and which it's very easy for us to take for granted in America because we have been spoiled so long by the freedom that we have. So I have three little points today, and I hope you will get them and really incorporate them into your thinking, because I want every member of our church to understand and to know this thoroughly. One, our faith is built upon the Bible. Number, I mean our personal faith, what we believe as, as Christians and believers. And then secondly, I want to show you that our church is built upon the Bible. 
And then thirdly, I want to show you that salvation is built upon the Bible. And without it, there is no true salvation. Number one, our faith is built upon the Bible. What do we believe? And when I say we, in a large sense, I mean Baptist, but also I mean we being the Florence Baptist Temple. Well, this is our official doctrinal statement taken right out of our articles of faith. We have it in a little book, and we also have it in a pamphlet. If you don't have one, we can get you one. This has all of the doctrines of our church here laid out with the uh, supporting Scripture references for them. And so I read our article of faith on what we believe about the Bible. Now, listen carefully, because you don't hear this often And I want you to really know what the Baptist temple and Baptist in general uh, believe about the Bible. One, we believe the Holy Bible was written by men supernaturally inspired, that it has truth without any admixture of error for its matter. And therefore it is and shall remain until the end of time the only complete and final revelation of the will of God to man. It is the true center of Christian union. It is the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and opinions should be tried. We believe that the Bible, as originally written, not only contains and conveys the Word of God, but it is the very Word of God. By inspiration, we mean that the Bible was written by holy men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit in such a definite way that their writing was supernatural, supernaturally and verbally inspired, free from error as no other writings have ever been or ever will be inspired. End of article. That's what we believe. That's taken from what's called the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. It's hundreds of years old. It goes back to the beginning of our nation. It was taken from the London Confession of Faith, which goes back hundreds of years before that. But we're not into confessions of faith so much. What we want to know is what does God say? And what God says is we go straight, of course, to the Bible. Now, I want you to look with me then again at the passage we read as we stood. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration. I don't know if you have this marked in your Bible, but if you don't, please put it in there right now. Circle that word inspiration, if you will, right now in your Bible. Just put your little circle around and write out there to a white space, go out to a white space and write, God breathed. Because the word inspiration in the scripture is, and the Greek word ultimately means God breathed. So the scripture was born in the heart and mind of God. Before any man ever wrote it down in a book or a manuscript, it was writ, it was in the heart and mind of God. And he breathed it out just as I'm breathing out as I'm preaching right now. And he breathed the scripture. He verbalized the scripture or he spoke the scripture into the minds of of the men who wrote it down. Now, if you will, go to the book of 
2 Peter with me. That's over to the right if you're a new Christian. 2 Peter, and go to chapter number 1. And this tells us how those men then uh, uh, understood the Word of God as God breathed it out. And in 2 Peter 1 and 21, and these are key verses for every solid, mature Christian to know and, uh, and to be able to remember. 2 Peter 1 and 21, the prophecy, referring to the Scripture, came not in old times by the will of man. Somebody didn't just sit down and say, this is my opinion, I think I'll write it down. No, holy men of God spake as they were moved. The word moved means to be borne along, to be carried with a, a, a current or a wind flow. Holy men of God spake the words of Scripture as they were moved and carried and borne along by the Holy Spirit of God. So men didn't sit and come up with the Bible out of their own minds and reasoning ability. The Holy Spirit of God breathed out the Word of God and put it into the minds and hearts of these men who wrote down these original autographs, we call them. And we believe today that the Bible is God's full and final revelation of himself to man. How do you know God? He is invisible. He lives in eternity. He is in heaven. How would I ever know who God is and what God is like? Well, he had to take the initiative and, 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 and show me. He had to reveal himself to me. And in the pages of the Bible, Almighty God gives us everything that he wants us to know about himself. If it's not in the Bible and someone comes along with some curious, uh, complex question and they say, you know, I wonder this about God. Well, if it isn't in the Bible, you can speculate all you want, but everything that God wants you to know about himself is already written down in the Word of God. Go search and find it. Don't try to speculate on what you don't have any idea of what at what really is. And so when we read our Bible, when I pick up this Bible, and I hold this Bible as I do in the mornings when I get up and have my time with the Lord, and when I study for my messages, and as I stand here right now holding this book, when I read the words of this book as I've been doing already this morning, I believe this book is the voice of God. This book is the voice of God. And that's how he's going to speak to me today. That's how he's going to speak to you predominantly, overwhelmingly. This book is the voice of God. Don't ever forget that today, Christian. And so we believe because God inspired it and holy men of God wrote down what God inspired we believe it is inerrant, and we use that word to describe it. Inerrant, meaning incapable of having errors in it. There are no errors in the Bible. And we believe that. We argue even against the culture because we're in a minority position on that today, very frankly. We believe when it speaks about historical events, it is accurate. When it speaks about scientific events, uh, ideas and concepts, again, it is accurate. 
Now, sometimes we don't understand, and sometimes it doesn't speak. It's silent about certain issues. But where it speaks, it is accurate. It is inspired. Psalm 119, 160 in your Bible. Here's another characteristic of the Bible. It is truth. Thy word is true from the beginning. And I picked that verse because it not only says that God's word is true, but it says it's true from the beginning because the most contested part of the Bible is the first eight chapters of Genesis. And everybody's been debating that from time immemorial. And as Dr. Jerry Vines told you last week, if you can believe the early part of Genesis, you don't have any problem with any of the other miracles of the Bible, do you? Somebody said uh, to me last week, you really believe that that whale swallowed uh, Jonah? I said, I do. I absolutely believe it happened. He didn't get into that. But you know what? If it said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe it if it was in the Bible. Because I've decided I'm going to trust God and not my mind and men's opinions that are always changing and shifting like the sands. The Word of God is true. If you want another verse, John 17, 17 says, Thy Word is truth. It doesn't contain truth. It is truth, ladies and gentlemen. Until you come to that position, you really are not trusting in God's Word. And in our day, unique to our day, over any other period in history that I can know about, the very idea of absolute truth is being rejected. In every other era, men have debated, even fought and killed about what is true. But today, we don't even agree on whether there is such a thing as truth. So we are really in a fight for the integrity of the Scripture here. And so the Bible is God's unchanging truth for all ages because truth by definition never changes. The Bible has all the moral authority then when it speaks that God himself has. If Jesus Christ stood here in this pulpit somehow today and he spoke to you, you would listen to, believe, accept without any mental debate. Every word that he said, you would say, that's the most authoritative man anywhere in the universe, rightly so. But when the Bible speaks, it has the same authority because it came from the heart and mind of Almighty God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is inspired. The Bible is true. The Bible is powerful. Will you look in Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4, and this is a verse that I really love, and it touches so many areas of life. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Word of God is quick. That's the old English word, as you know, for alive. The Word of God is a living book. It's not a stale, dead, old book. If you think that, you really don't understand the Scripture. It's a living book. It applies as much today as it did in the days in which it was written. The Word of God is alive, and it's powerful. How powerful is it? 
which sharper than a two-edged sword, which was the battle sword that the soldier used in those days. He could cut with it this way, and he could cut coming back this way. Two edges are sharp. And the Bible can even do what that sword can't do. It can pierce to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. Now, many people say the soul and the spirit's the same thing, but in that passage, it makes a distinction. There's a difference between the spirit and the soul, and the soul, and the word of God can cut right through and discern between the soul and the spirit, if you notice. And the joints and the marrow, the very internal parts of our bones, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. There's nothing in the world like the Bible, the Word of God. It is truth. It is powerful, so powerful that it's been able to change whole societies at certain times in our Christian history when revivals would break out and the Bible would be the basis of social and societal change. One other thing about it, go back to Second Peter chapter Number one with me, I'm turning you through the Bible, but I want you to see these, and I hope you're marking them. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, and this verse teaches us, Second Peter 1, 3, it says, according to his divine power, he hath given to us all things, circle the all things phrase there, everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so I say to you, the word of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. Everything you need to live a godly and a righteous and a victorious life, you will find within the pages of the Word of God. It is sufficient. So if it's sufficient, it's sufficient for our church, is it not? It is God's complete program and will for the church. Think about that. Because it claims to provide everything necessary for life and for godliness, it is God's complete will for his church. And so his program for our church has already been written, hasn't it? Now, that's very, very important when I begin to apply here in a few moments. Not only is God's will sufficient for all the needs of the church, it is sufficient for our personal needs. Everything that I need to live a life of godliness and righteousness, you will find in God's Word. So today, if you are grieving, turn to the Word of God is the best thing I can say to you. If today you need guidance for a decision coming up in your life, open up your Bible. It's sufficient. If you're wondering about a moral issue Turn to the Word of God. It is sufficient. All things that pertain to life and godliness. You wrestling with the ethics of a business decision? Open your Bible and listen to what God says. Do you have a marriage problem, a family issue? The answer is right here. Better than any psychologist or psychiatrist in the whole country today, I can tell you, listen to what the Creator said about your issue and your problem. Sufficient. The last thing I'll tell you about it is Matthew 24 and 35. It is eternal. It is eternal. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It will never pass away. And if time goes on another thousand years, God's word will be here and it will be relevant. It will be protected and preserved because God has promised that heaven and earth shall pass away. Jesus said not one jot nor one tittle will pass away, meaning the punctuation marks. They will not pass away. And so men like Diocletian and Hitler and Stalin and Lenin and all of them tried to destroy the Bible, but the Bible's still here today, isn't it? It's still in, being read in those countries where they were too, by the way, and they're dead and moldering in their tombs. And today, the threat is not coming from a political leader per se. It is coming from the evolutionist. It's coming from the secularist. It's coming from the rationalist. It's coming from the theological liberals and the university chairs. It's coming where people would try to destroy the integrity of the Scripture. But believe me, God will preserve His Word. And our faith is built on the Bible. Number two, a Baptist church is built on the Bible. A Baptist church is built on the Bible. We say, we often say in our doctrinal statements that say it, that the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice in our church. That if, we're gonna, if we were to have a dispute about something, we go to the Bible. And the Bible is sufficient to provide us the guidance and direction that we need. Now, Baptists are known in many places for splitting and fighting and dividing and starting a new, starting a new church down the street. It should not be like that, and that is to our shame, not to our glory. Because no church ever needs split. It needs to go to the Word of God. And there we will find the answers to whatever the issue might be. And if we have a congregation full of people indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you don't think the Holy Spirit can lead the majority of them to vote in the right way and solve the problem? So it speaks to our carnality and our shallowness and our immaturity as Christians when we're fighting and we're splitting over things because we have the answer. We have the answer. The Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Now, listen to me carefully because now I want to make some application here. This matter of the Bible being the final authority is more than a little catchphrase for me to say from the pulpit or to write into a doctrinal statement somewhere. This phrase, the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, really makes Baptists very distinctive from most, I emphasize most, other Christians in the world today. There's such an emphasis today on being ecumenical and unity and all that stuff that we're afraid anymore, it almost seems, a little bit intimidated to stand up and say, this is what we believe, because somebody will say, well, that's being divisive. I don't mean this divisively. I mean to tell you what we believe at our church. But believing that the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, it does make us somewhat distinctive. Now, not totally. There's some other people that believe this as well. 
For example, what is the final authority to a Roman Catholic today? Our Catholic friends would differ from us on this, so we're distinct there, see. Our Catholic friends would say that the final authority for the church is the Bible plus the Pope plus the traditions of the church. In fact, they would say that the church produced the Bible. The church was there before the Bible. Therefore, the final authority is the Bible, the teachings of the Pope, and the traditions of the church. And then if we go to many other Protestant groups, we go to the Reformed end of the spectrum. Most of the mainline churches today that name themselves after one of the Reformers have departed from those positions. The Reformers were very strong on what I'm preaching right now. Sola Scriptura, they talked about. Only the Bible. But you know today that many liberal Protestant denominations, they've departed from the position of biblical authority that their founders taught. And today they have study groups and they have councils and they have assemblies and they have synods and they have all kinds of religious gatherings to determine, well, what is our position on these issues today? And then we have the mystics today, even among us, involved in all churches. What do I mean by that? The people who hear Jesus come and speak to them, mystic, mystical religion is religion that comes from within means from within. And so instead of, our religion is not mystical, it's biblical. See, we look to something without. And some people say, well, I had a dream. Or some people will say, well, the Lord said to me. I never know what people mean when they say the Lord said to me. How did he say it? Did he drop a rock on your head or did he um, speak audibly? Or uh, how did he say it? So that's mysticism, looking inside to determine what you believe. And you have the Christian mystics of today. You hear them get on television and say, here's a word of knowledge, meaning God has told me something I need to tell you. First Corinthians chapter 13 says those words of knowledge have ceased very, very clearly. And if we're going to, have, if we're going to operate from a word of knowledge, we're going to have 3,000 opinions in this church. We're going to have chaos. No, the Word of God is the final authority, not a council, not an assembly, not a house of delegates, not a house of bishops. The Word of God is our final authority in all matters. And we must be careful because those groups add to what the Word of God said so often. Turn to the book of Revelation. Just go to the last page in your Bible, okay? You can find that one real quick. Last page. Next page is maps, okay? Last page of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And God said, now, just before you close this book, John, there's something I want to say. Verse 18. I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. 
If any man shall add to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man take away from the words of this book, then what does it say? God will take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. A very, very, very stern, dire warning. No, you don't add to it by having some council meet somewhere and declare a new position on whatever. You see, the entire program, listen to me. Hear, you hearing me? Because this is so core to what we are as Baptists. Not just the Baptist temple. This is traditionally what Baptist people have believed and died for, if you will. The entire program for the church has already been written down. So we don't need to have a gathering of the bishops or council or preachers or whatever it may be to give us new light on something that has already been spoken to. The entire program of the church is already written. The church is to simply carry out what our founder and our head, Jesus Christ, gave to us in his book. And so we don't convene a church council to determine our position relative to some issue. What do we believe about homosexuality, one of the big issues of our day? We believe what the Bible says. What do we believe about gender identity? We believe what the Bible says. We don't need a council to go and have a study on this for five years and come back and report. Our Creator's already spoken to us. We can gain new insight. We can gain new understanding. But the truth has been there all along. And the Bible is absolutely crystal clear on all these modern issues people are talking about today. God has spoken. It's not an issue of whether God has spoken. It's an issue of are we listening and are we open to him and his authoritative word as opposed to the opinions of man. Therefore, in this church, the Scripture has the very highest and most honored opinion. You know who we love and respect most here? Right here. I got an email this week from a guy who was watching in Wichita, Kansas. And he said, are you using an Allen Long Primer Bible? And I said, I am. <laughs> I said, what in the world? The guy's watching, he's even noticing which kind of Bible you're using. Well, it doesn't matter what kind it is as long as it's God's Word. And uh, I use the King James. I highly prefer it. I don't trash the others. I use the others in my study, but I hang on to this because I still think it's the most greatly used Bible that God has ever given to man. And our program here, our agenda here, our mission here has already been written. We're just got to look in here and decide, okay, we're going to carry it out. And this is the most honored thing here. I don't... Um, I try not. Sometimes I do it unthinkingly, but I try not to even lay anything on top of my Bible when I lay it down. I lay it down on my desk and I put it on the top of the stack. We carry it when we come to church. 
Hey, for the benefit of our television audience, everybody hold your Bible up in there. I want to show them we really do that here. Look there. You folks watching on television, I said we're built on the Bible. That's why I mean You can see that we are right there. Thank you so much. We stand by it and we read it. We memorize it. We read it and we study it. We preach from it. I'll be back here at 6 o'clock tonight. You know why? To preach the Bible because we love the Word. We'll come back on Wednesday night. Somebody said, you Baptists, all you folks do at that Baptist temple is go to church. Yeah, that's right. We love the Word of God. You nailed it, honey. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you want people with faith, they've got to hear the Word. Lastly and quickly, I'm out of time, but our salvation is built on the Bible. My salvation is built on the Bible. As soon as sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, God instituted the plan he had conceived before the world was ever even created, before the foundation of the world. He knew what he would need to do, and he instituted the plan of redemption. And as Dr. W.A. Criswell used to say, there's a scarlet thread going all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and the scarlet thread represents the shed blood of an innocent sacrifice, an innocent substitute. And Leslie sung about Abraham taking his son up to the mountain, willing to sacrifice him. And God gave them a ram, an innocent substitute. And in the book of Exodus, the people are in bondage in Egypt. And what does God do? He says, take the little lamb and at midnight, shed its blood into a basin and put it on the walls, form a cross over the door of your house because salvation has always been, it is, and it will always be based upon the shed blood of an innocent sacrifice. And then Jesus came. And once for all, at the end of the world, Hebrews, he has put away our sins by the suffering of himself. And he shed his blood on the cross for us. And so Jesus is the plan of redemption. Man is lost. Without Christ, you're lost today, my friend, separated from God by sin. You can do absolutely nothing, zero, zilch, zip, to save yourself. Salvation is of the Lord, we learned last week from the book of Jonah. And Scripture says that Jesus came and he died on the cross and took your place. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many to be that innocent substitute whose blood would be shed. And in John 5 and 24, listen to this verse. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. My salvation is not based on a hope so, think so, guess so, maybe so idea. My salvation is built on the Bible. I heard his word. I believed his word. And he has saved me. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.